Okay, gracious be to our loving Father that we are again gathered to study His words and His commandments. Uh, tonight, for our BHP, we're going to look at Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, look at its history, and also its connection to the New Testament, or to the covenant that Yahushua HaMashiach has made with us, or the covenant of which Yahushua is the mediator of. And so we know that Yahuwah has set apart festivals called Yahuwah's Feast or Mo'edim. Mo'edim means appointed times. And even though this was given during the days of Moses, we still find it necessary, important to celebrate its purpose and the principles behind the Mo'edim. Colossians 2, 16 to 17 said, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. We all know the scriptures is all about who? Yahushua, including the Moedim or the appointed time. They point to our King Yahushua because he is the centerpiece of Yahuwah's work of restoration. And so when we commemorate the Feast of Weeks, just like when we commemorated the other festivals, we have in mind how Yahushua fulfilled this Moedim. Now, what do we need to understand about the appointed times or the festivals of Yahuwah? In Leviticus 23, 1 to 4, and Yahuwah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feast of Yahuwah, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of Yahuwah in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of Yahuwah, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. So we know that the festivals of Yahuwah are significant events. Not only is it the scheduling that is important, the timeline that is important, but also what it means for Yahuwah to have an appointed time. You see, the appointed times represent great works that Yahuwah has done for our redemption and salvation that we need to be thankful for. So the purpose of the Moedim is to take time to reflect and to be thankful to Yahuwah, to remember what he has done, and also to prepare for what he is going to do. This is why the word convocation, what does that mean? rehearsal right and so it's a memorial it's a rehearsal it's a time to remember the festivals of yahuwah so that we can be thankful for what he has done in the past so that we can be prepared for what we are going to face in the future and so last spring we commemorated and celebrated passover feast of unleavened bread and feast of first fruits there are seven moedims or seven festivals, but three of them are grouped together in the spring feast, and then three of them are grouped together in the fall feast, right? And there's one right in the middle. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is why in Deuteronomy 16, 16, the Bible tells us three times a year, all your males shall appear before Yahuwah your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before Yahuwah empty-handed. And so the people of God 
would pilgrimage to Jerusalem on these three appointed times, unleavened bread, weeks, and tabernacles. When we say unleavened bread, of course, that includes first fruits and Passover and unleavened bread and tabernacles. That includes trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. So they're grouped together in the fall feast and unleavened bread are grouped together in the spring feast. And you have one that kind of stands out in the middle, the feast of weeks. So what is the feast of weeks all about? When do we celebrate the feast of weeks? Let's read Leviticus 23, 15 to 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And you shall offer a new grain offering to Yahuwah. And so when do we celebrate the Feast of Weeks? Bible says, count for your Selves. So unlike the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread or Passover, where you have the 14th of Abib, 15th of Abib, for us to determine when we're going to celebrate, it requires us to do something maybe that you don't like to do. That is to count, right? We're going to count. This is why two times it mentions here we're going to count. And so we're going to count from the day after the Sabbath, which is the celebration of first fruits. That's when they bring the sheaf of the wave offering and the priest waves the sheaf on the first day of, on the feast of first fruits. So that's where the counting begins. And so you count from that day seven Sabbaths. Notice that? Seven Sabbaths. And then you will celebrate the feast of weeks. This is why it's called feast of weeks, because one way to count is to count by weeks seven weeks. Shavuot means weeks. Feast of weeks, Shavuot. But there's also another way that you can count that leads you to uh, the day where we are to, when we are to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. What is that? In verse 16, it says, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And so you can also count not in terms of weeks, but in terms of days so 50 days from the first of first fruits that's when we celebrate shavuot this is why in the new testament when we read uh, the new testament we find the word pentecost penta means 50th this is why 50 days after the first uh, feast of first fruits we celebrate shavuot or we call it pentecost or we call it feast of weeks and what are we going to do we offer a new grain offering to yahuwah this is what they did during the days of moses and so when we look at shavuot it's basically a countdown right from the day of first fruits it's like a countdown and so one can consider the feast of shavuot can be regarded as the climax or the completion of the Passover season. What's the Passover season? That's the barley harvest, which began on Passover, on the month of Aviv, right? And on the 14th was the Passover. And so when we say Passover season, that's the harvest of barley. And so when the Feast of Shavuot is being celebrated, it often marks the completion of the 
feast of the um, harvest of barley, and it marks the beginning of the harvest for wheat or the wheat harvest. Now, what instructions were given by Yahuwah when the people of Israel celebrated the Feast of Weeks? Let's read Leviticus 23, 17 to 19. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to Yahuwah. And you shall offer with, uh, with bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to Yahuwah with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to Yahuwah. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. This is not surprising. Because in the Feast of Weeks, they're going to approach Yahuwah and worship Yahuwah. Because we need to keep in mind the festival center around worship of Yahuwah. Sabbath is about worship of Yahuwah, right? And so these appointed times center around our Creator, Yahuwah. So it's a schedule for worship. And so in worshiping Yahuwah on the Feast of Shavuot, because they're going to bring themselves close to Yahuwah, you have to make a lot of sacrifices. Because this was still during the time of the Old Testament. Yahusha has not given the eternal redemption because of his perfect sacrifice of himself. We're not yet there, right? That, that doesn't happen until the, the New Testament. So this is still the Old Testament. And so all these different rituals to be cleansed, to be prepared, to be consecrated, they had to be done. And this is what Yahuwah tells them to do. They need a burnt offering, a grain, a grain offering, a drink offering, a sin offering, and a peace offering. It's like five different offerings, right? To bring themselves to Yahuwah. Besides that, something interesting is instructed. What is that? From their dwellings, they're supposed to bring two wave loaves, right? Two loaves of two tens of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with Leaven, very interesting, because in the spring festival, it was unleavened bread. This time, it is leavened bread. Why is that? We have no idea. But the possibility is the two loaves that is weighed, it could represent maybe Israel and the ecclesia of Yahushua, or it could represent Israel and Judah, okay? Who are because of sin are you know are likened to leaven, but they'll be weighed, and so Yahuwah is going to cleanse them. So we don't really know, but that's some of the propositions that are put out there. There are some who say it could represent the two tablets that contain the commandments of Yahuwah. That's also a possibility, but why would it be called or why would it be made of leaven? So that's kind of weird, and so we don't really know um, why. This instruction was given. Perhaps when we are with Yahuwah, we can ask him all about this uh, Moedim. But the point is, this festival is about a celebration. We are to rejoice and to worship Yahuwah Allahim. And so when the two, wave, the two loaves are given, what, is, what does the priest do? Uh, the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before Yahuwah with the two lamps. 
they shall be holy to Yahuwah for the priests, and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And so it is a holy convocation to be regarded also as a high or special Sabbath. But after giving this instruction, something Yahuwah uh, gives another instruction that's related to taking care of the poor. In verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am Yahuwah your God. And so when giving this instruction concerning what needs to be done in observing the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks, Yahuwah added, right, um, concerning the law of gleaning. And the law of gleaning states that when you have a field and you're harvesting that field and you have prophet, uh, servants who are harvesting it for you, Bible says that you need to leave the corners, you need to leave certain parts unharvested so that you can let the poor have them, the strangers have them. And so this is Yahuwah's concern for the poor. He wanted to provide for the, for the poor during the day when they enter the promised land. And this is what happened in the time of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. When Naomi and Ruth came from Moab and they went back to Israel, they were poor and destitute. And so they needed some help and they were poor. And so they went to the field of Boaz and they began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. This was the work of Ruth to be able to provide food for herself and also for Naomi. So this was a program Yahuwah came up with to help the poor. In addition to the idea of a kinsman redeemer, Yahuwah provided the law of gleaning to help those who are poor. So we can see, you know, throughout the Old Testament, Yahuwah is very much concerned with the poor, the weak, and the oppressed. He wants people to help them. And so if we truly want to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, one thing that we can do, in addition to having a holy convocation and worshiping, is to find someone to help, some poor to help. You know, that's a good way that we can show to Yahuwah your desire, which is to help the poor and the weak, is also our desire. And so that's something that you can do on your own. You can maybe go to a shelter by your house. You can give, you can look around. And because if you really look around, there's going to be many people who are in need of help. And so when it comes to the Moedim of Shavuot, that's basically all we have, right? What we are to do. However, we're celebrating Shavuot. And of course, when we are celebrating Shavuot, we remember what Yahuwah God did, right? And we remember, for example, when we celebrated Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, we remember what Yahuwah God did on those days, right? And so we kind of show thankfulness. Because remember, all of the Moedims is about thanksgiving. We are thankful to Yahuwah. For example, Passover. What are we being thankful for? We're thankful for the blood of the Passover lamb, which delivered Israel from death, right? Unleavened bread. We're thankful for delivering Israel out of Egypt. 
first fruits, thankful for bringing the people of Israel to the promised land. Um, take note, first fruits, when it was given to Moses, it was contingent upon them entering the promised land. And so in reality, it was celebrated after they entered the promised land. So they were expressing their thankfulness for being able to enter the promised land and in the promised land, being able to enjoy the harvest of the land that Yahuwah provided. So there were significant events that mark the Moedim. This is why it's called appointed times to point to significant events that relate to our redemption. And all of these events also point to fulfillment in Yahusha. Passover, who became the Passover lamb? Yahusha. Unleavened bread, who, the, who was the one who was responsible for delivering us from the bondage of death and decay? Yahusha, when he was in the, uh, when he was buried and then he resurrected. First fruits, of course, Yahusha resurrecting. And so it corresponds to events also that was performed by Yahusha. The question is, how about the Feast of Shavuot? Did anything significant happen on the 50th day after first fruits? Do you know of anything that happened on the 50th day after first fruits? What happened on that day? Well, let's go ahead and look and see what happened. Exodus 19. Remember, uh, Israel left after the people of Israel or after Egypt and the firstborn sons of the people of Egypt died, right? Pharaoh said, go, and they left. And this happened on the 15th of Abib. And so when they left, they were journeying. And eventually, in Exodus 19, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. When was that? Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And so after leaving Egypt, they reach Sinai. When do they reach Sinai? The Bible says in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. Now, when you read this English translation, one might conclude that three months passed after they left and then they wound up in Sinai, right? Because when you look at it in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. But what the verse is actually saying is in the third month. Remember, Abib is the first month, then the second month, and then on the third month, because this new counting started when they left Egypt. That's when this new counting system started. First month, Abib, second month, and then the third month. Because if this was three months after, that's how many days already? Three times three is, 30 times three is 90, right? And so this is the third month. And so in other translations of the Bible, this is how it reads, in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt the same day, came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So here it's a little more clear, right? It's not after, it's not three months after they left, but in the third month when they left, okay? So the, the counting started when they left, the month of when they left, which was Abib. And so the third month, so we have Abib, second month, third month. But then it says the same day. 
What does that mean? The same day. It becomes even more clear in this translation of the Holy Bible. On the third new moon. If it's a new moon, it's a specific day. Right? So that's the first of the, the first of the third month. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, the first, right, the first of the third month, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And so now we know that on the third day, I mean on the third month, on the first of the third month, that's when they came to Sinai. Okay? So they left when? When did they leave? When did the people of Israel leave? Let's go to Exodus 12, verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on the same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. So when did the people of Israel leave out of Egypt? On the 15th, right? On the 15th of the first month. Now, on the 15th of the first month is 15 days more, you have the second month. And then 30 days more, you have the third month. So 15 plus 30, what do you get? 45, right? So 45 days after they left Egypt, they're right there at the foot of Mount Sinai. But take note, we're talking about the Feast of First Fruits, right? 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, not 50 days after um, Unleavened Bread. So we have to add several more, we need to add several more days. But let's go ahead and uh, count, you know, maybe there's something significant that happened like around the time frame of 50 days after first fruit. So we know 45 days after they left Egypt, they are in the base of Mount Sinai. And what happened there? What did they do when they got there? 19.2, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness so Israel camped there before the mountain. So they camped there for how long? We don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe a day, right? Maybe two days, probably a day, because right after that, three to six, and Moses went up to Gong. They had a purpose for going there. So as soon as they got there, Moses went up to Gong. And Yahuwah called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so they get to the base of Sinai on the 45th day, right? And on the 46th, perhaps Moses goes to Mount Sinai, has a conversation with Yahuwah, and he gives an instruction and tells them about the covenant, and that if they will be faithful to the covenant, they will become a kingdom of priests and the holy nation, they will become a treasure for himself. And so what happens next? Let's read 7 and 9. So Moses came and all and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which Yahuwah commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that Yahuwah has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahuwah 
And Yahuwah said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to Yahuwah. And so after Yahuwah goes to the mountain and Yahuwah tells him about the covenant, he, what, after that, uh, Moses calls for a meeting. And so he brings all the elders of the people and speaks to them, right? And after he speaks to them, the people says, um, we will, they basically agreed, right? All that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. So they're making a verbal commitment to Moses and Yahuwah takes what the people said and he goes back to Yahuwah. So perhaps this is another day, right? So 46, 47, or day 47. And so Moses told the words of the people to Yahuwah. And then Exodus 19, 10 to 13, then Yahuwah said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash your clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahuwah will come down upon Mount Sinai, the site of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds wrong, they shall come near the mountain. And so we have here the instruction of Yahuwah about what he will do with the people of Israel, right? Because he had a, a verbal agreement. The people agreed that whatever Yahuwah will say, they will do. And so Yahuwah says, okay, give these instructions. Consecrate the people of Israel for three days. Two days consecration on the third day. They're going to have a meeting with Yahuwah. Where? On Mount Sinai. But they can only come to the foot of the mountain. They could not come closer unless Yahuwah invites them to come closer. Even though they were the people of Yahuwah, there were limits to how close they can be to Yahuwah, right? And so they would be they would approach the mountain, right? But that's about it. They were not to go beyond that. They're only supposed to go up to the base of the mountain. Okay, and so this instruction was given. The third day came. What happened on the third day? By the way, that's day 50, right? That's day 50. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because Yahuwah had descended on it uh, in the form of fire. The smoke billowed in the sky like smoke from a brick, uh, a brick kiln. And the whole mountain shook violently as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. Yahuwah came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. So on the third day, what happened? A display of power, right? Yahuwah appeared as a fire and there was smoke and there was thunder and lightning. 
and the people began to tremble. They showed reverence and awe for Yahuwah when he began to make an appearance before the people of Israel, right? So they had like a, I don't know, maybe a balcony view. You know when you enter a concert, when you go to a concert, you have like, um, what do you call that when you're right next to the performers? And if you're like in the back, right? And so the people of Israel, they were like at the mountain, so they had to see it from a distance. But even from a distance, they saw the glory of Yahuwah, and they were absolutely in awe of what they saw there. Then Moses was summoned to go closer. He was summoned to go to the mountain. And so when Moses went up to the mountain, on this third day, what did Yahuwah tell him? Let's read, 21. Then Yahuwah told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see Yahuwah, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come to Yahuwah must purify themselves so that Yahuwah does not break out and destroy them. But Yahuwah, Moses protested, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me mark off a boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy. And so when Moses went up to see Yahuwah, right? Yahuwah tells Moses, go back and tell the people not to approach closer because they're going to die. And then Moses said, I don't need to go back down because we were, I already told them that. So he's like debating with Yahuwah. No, there's no need, Yahuwah. I've already told them. I've already warned them. And so what does Yahuwah say? But Yahuwah said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach Yahuwah, or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what Yahuwah had said. And so Yahuwah tells Moses, go down anyways. Warn them anyways. And when you come back up, bring who with you? Aaron. So Moses and Aaron, when Yahuwah is going to make a declaration, they get the front view. Moses and Aaron get the front view. The rest of Israel, they get the, the back view. I mean, they're, they're, they're back away from the, the mountain. They're at the foot of the mountain. Um, and so Yahuwah is going to make a pronouncement, and everyone is ready to hear what he has to say. Do you know what Yahuwah said? That was heard by everyone? What did Yahuwah say? What do you think Yahuwah said? On this day, Exodus 20, 1 to 3, and God spoke all these words. And so here's Yahuwah. He has an audience. Who's his audience? People of Israel. Israel was at the foot of the mountain. They could not get, get closer. That tells you that Yahuwah is still giving distance between his people and himself because that's how holy he is. And that's how, that's how filthy we are. There's that separation between Yahuwah and man, right? And so even though Yahuwah is inviting them uh, to become his people, even then there's limitations and boundaries as far as one is able to approach Yahuwah. But then, so Yahuwah has an audience, the people of Israel at the base, and Moses and Aaron at the, in the mountain, and then Yahuwah speaks all these words. What did Yahuwah speak? He says, I am Yahuwah, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not, you shall have no other gods 
before me. So what did Yahuwah speak? When he had this audience, this captured audience, they were in awe and reverence of him. What did Yahuwah speak? He spoke the Ten Commandments. That's why this is the first command. I am Yahuwah your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This speaks of the principle of making Yahuwah priority in our life. We would not be where we are today if it were not for Yahuwah. He must be our priority. What's commandment number two? You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, Yahuwah, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What is commandment number two? It is about proper worship. What is proper worship all about? Based on the commands of? Yahuwah. What do we show Yahuwah when we keep his commands? We show that we love him. That's why the Bible says, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And the first one is about making Yahuwah priority. The second one is about appropriate and fitting worship of Yahuwah, our creator. What's the next commandment? You shall not misuse the name of Yahuwah your God, for Yahuwah will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What is commandment number three? Do not misuse the name of Yahuwah. What does that mean? When we invoke his name, it should be in the appropriate setting. If it's used in praise and giving blessing and in worship, then we use and invoke the name of Yahuwah. So we do not use the name of Yahuwah casually, but we do it on purpose and in praise of him. What is commandment number four? We know all about this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahuwah your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days Yahuwah made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahuwah blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What is commandment number four? To honor, right? To, to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so Yahuwah is telling us that the Sabbath day is not an ordinary day. When did Yahuwah first show that the Sabbath day is not an ordinary day? Back in creation. It was back in creation or during the days of Adam and Eve that he set apart the seventh day as a Sabbath day, a holy day where we rest and enjoy our Father who created all things. What is commandment number five? Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land Yahuwah your God is giving you. And so Yahuwah is very much concerned with our relationship with our parents. Even if they belong to a different faith, it doesn't mean that we will no longer honor them. Yahuwah wants us to 
speak of them in a way that makes them praiseworthy. Yes, nobody's perfect. No parent is perfect. But no matter what they do, we need to show honor to father and mother. This pleases Yahuwah. So much so, look at the promise he attached. You will live long in the land Yahuwah your God is giving you. What is the next commandment? You shall not murder. What else? You shall not commit adultery. What else? You shall not steal. What else? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Yahuwah wants integrity, honesty, and truthfulness. What else? Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So that's the Ten Commandments. It was heard by everyone. They heard the voice of Yahuwah when he spoke the Ten Commandments. And after he spoke the Ten Commandments, what happened to the people? Let's read 18 to 21. And the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain smoke. They trembled with fear. They, they had fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. <laughs> they were so afraid, right? Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And so Moses approaches Yahuwah, and Yahuwah has further things he says to him in Exodus 20, 22. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver, or gods of gold. And in verse 21, verse 1, these are the laws you are to set before them. And so at this point, uh, the people of Israel are not able to hear Yahuwah. It's just between him and Moses, right? Because Yahuwah tells Moses, tell the Israelites this. And so after speaking the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation of the law of Moses, right? The foundation of the law is the Ten Commandments. From the Ten Commandments, you derive the ordinances, the rules and regulations. This is why when Moses has another meeting with Yahuwah, Yahuwah presents to him other laws, but these laws are tied to the Ten Commandments in the way he is to be worshipped. This is why when you read Exodus 22, 23, all the way, and 24, you read the other commandments about the festivals, about the different ways of worshiping him, about rules concerning the Sabbath. And so this is all connected to the Ten Commandments. And so after Yahuwah gives the instruction to Moses, Exodus 24, 1-3, then he said to Moses, come up to Yahuwah. Pause it for a while. When Yahuwah says, come up to Yahuwah, what does that mean? That means he's not there, he's not there anymore. So after that meeting, apparently he went down. And then he comes, back, comes up again. Right? And so that's 51 days. Then he said to Moses, come up to Yahuwah, you and Aaron, native and Abayu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach Yahuwah. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. 
When Moses went and told the people all Yahuwah's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything Yahuwah has said, we will do. And so Yahuwah tells Moses to come up, and he tells Yahuwah to bring Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and Yahuwah is going to set up a ceremony. For what? To confirm the covenant. Because the people are willing, because they said everything Yahuwah has said we will do. So he wants to confirm this covenant, okay? And so four down to eight, Moses then wrote down everything Yahuwah had said. He got up early the next morning. So this is day 52, right? And built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to Yahuwah. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half sprinkled, sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything Yahuwah has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahuwah has made with you in accordance with all these words and so after Yahuwah tells Moses and the elders we're going to confirm this covenant to confirm this covenant we're going to have a ceremony and when you look at the ceremony it involves the reading of the book of covenant what's the book of covenant everything you everything Yahuwah told Moses he wrote in a book of course this was in scroll form right and so he writes it in the book and then he reads it. But before he reads it, there were instructions given. Build an altar, set up 12 stone pillars, and then they would take the blood to sprinkle it on the people. And so when, Yahu when Moses read the book covenant, the people responded and they said, we will do everything Yahuwah has said. And then the blood was sprinkled upon them. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like a wedding ceremony, doesn't it? This sounds like a, a confirmation of a covenant, a covenant that Yahuwah makes with his people, Israel. This makes it official. This makes it official because there's the giving of the Torah. There's the giving of the Torah. And so Pentecost, Shavuot, or whatever name you want to call that, 50 days after first fruits, the event that we commemorate, that we remember, is the giving of the Torah to the people of Israel. And this is also what many Jewish people today, even up to, to this moment, this is what they do when they celebrate Shavuot. They read the Ten Commandments. They read the Torah because they believe um, that on that day, on 50th day, Yahuwah gave the uh, Torah to the people of Israel and he made official the covenant with Israel. So the giving and accepting of the Torah to confirm the covenant was what happened on Shavuot. That's a significant event, right? So we pass over, what is that? The lamb. 
right? Uh, unleavened bread, they were taken out of Israel. These first fruits that will take place when they enter the promised land, that's when, that's the assurance they're gonna enter the promised land. And right in between, you have the giving of the Torah to confirm the covenant. This is why when this covenant was confirmed, like what we said, it's like a ceremony. And in a way, it's like Yahuwah is married now to Israel. It's a covenant relationship. And this is um, proven in Jeremiah 31. The time is coming, declares Yahuwah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares Yahuwah. So that covenant is like a marriage contract. Yahuwah became like a husband to Israel. Isn't that fascinating, right? And so the covenant was confirmed by the giving of the Torah on the day of Shavuot. And when the day when Shavuot was given, what was Yahuwah basically saying concerning the people of Israel? To answer that question, let's look at the promise Yahuwah made. Because remember, Yahuwah never breaks his promise. When he makes a promise, he will deliver his promise. He will fulfill his promise. When Yahuwah speaks to Moses, and when Moses is to go to Israel to set them free from Pharaoh, from Egypt, Yahuwah tells Moses, this is what you say to them. What was that? Exodus 6, 6 to 8. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahuwah, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahuwah your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahuwah. And so even before Yahuwah liberates the people of Israel from Egypt, he tells Moses, this is what you say to the people of Israel, that he has four promises. Do you see the four promises there? Yahuwah makes four promises to the people of Israel. What are they? What are Yahuwah's four promises to Israel? I will redeem you. I will deliver you from slavery. I will take you to be my people. I will bring you into the land. Question, did Yahuwah fulfill all these four promises? Yeah. Are these four promises significant for events? Yeah. Yes. Are they marked by a Moedim? Yeah. You notice when Yahuwah says, I will redeem you, how did Yahuwah fulfill that? I mean, what led them to be set free from Israel? It all was started by the Passover lamb, right? Passover lamb, when they slaughtered the lamb and the blood was on the doorposts and the lintels, death passed over them, they were redeemed. They were redeemed by that shed blood, right? And so Yahuwah, fulfills that promise, and it's remembered when celebrating what? Passover. I will deliver you from slavery. When did that happen? The following day, on the 15th of Avi, commemorated by unleavened bread. And eventually, they enter the promised land, and they give the first fruits 
that's the celebration and the feast of first fruits. Notice there's one thing left. What is that promise? What did Yahuwah say? I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. How do you think that was fulfilled? Yeah, when Yahuwah on Mount Sinai gives the Torah and performs that ceremony led by Moses that confirms the covenant. And so that happened on Shavuot. This is why Shavuot is a significant day. It's not something that we should just forget about. Because on the day of Shavuot, Yahuwah confirmed the covenant with his people Israel and gave them the Torah. Well, that's good. But that was then. Well, how about today? How about during the Christian era? Was there something significant that happened on Shavuot? What is your answer? Yes. What is that? The book of Acts 2, 1 to 4. When, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So was there anything significant that happened on Shavuot? Yeah. When we read in Acts 2, 1 to 4, when it says the day of Pentecost, what day is that? That's the day of Shavuot, one and the same. So on that day, what happened to the believers of Yahusha? When they were gathered in one place, there was a blowing of a violent wind, and they were filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit that was promised by Yahuwah and promised by Yahusha, it was fulfilled on the day of Shavuot, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured upon them. It enabled them to do things that were miraculous. And so what were they able to do? In Acts 2, 5 to 11, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, why is that? These God-fearing Jews, even if they're in different places, they would go to Jerusalem when it was Shavuot. And so they were all gathered in Jerusalem, right? Now, where was this gathering of the believers? Where did it take place? We don't really know. He doesn't tell us. But it's somewhere in Jerusalem, right? Because the people, the God-fearing Jews from all, over the, from, all, from all over the world, who went to Jerusalem for Shavuot or for Pentecost, they witnessed something. What was that? When they heard the sound, that was the, the wind, the Holy Spirit. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one, heard them speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? They looked down on Galileans because they were uneducated. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so when the Holy Spirit came down, 
the believers of our King Yahusha, they were speaking praises, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It moves us to praise Yahuwah. And as they were praising Yahuwah, when they were declaring the wonders of Yahuwah God, who overheard them, all these different Jews from different countries. And they were perplexed because they were all speaking. When they were speaking, they could each understand. This was like the speaking of tongues, right? They understood what they were saying in their own tongue. And so someone from Elam, someone from Parthia, someone from Pontus, someone from Asia, someone from Cappadocia, they all understood and heard the same thing in their own tongue. And that was amazing. And so because of this amazement, what was the reaction? Take note, Acts 2. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. You notice, even with display of power from Yahuwah, there are two responses. One would be curious and investigate. The other is to make fun and dismiss it altogether. Right? I mean, even today, when we present the gospel, when we present the words of God, isn't that also the same thing? One, they were asked, what does this mean? So become curious. And you want to know more, right? And the others, they mock it. <laughs> like when we present the name of Yahuwah, many people mocked it, right? And so those are your two reactions. And so even here, when the spirit was poured out, there were two reactions. Those who were interested and those who were mocking it. And so what was the explanation of the Apostle Peter, 14 and 16. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so Peter, when he overheard the people mocking what was happening. He responded by saying, it's not because we had wine. It's only nine in the morning. What did they say? What did Apostle Peter say? He stood up and he basically said the prophecy that you can read in Joel, it's happening now. It's happening now. What was that prophecy? Let's read 17 and 21. In the last days, so during that time when Yahuwah spirits being poured, that was considered the beginning of the last days. Okay, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit on my servants and both men and women. They will speak what God has revealed. I will work miracles in the sky, give signs on the earth, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will become as red as blood before the terrifying day of Yahuwah comes. Then whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. And so when Apostle Peter explains that what is happening is the fulfillment of a prophecy in Joel, which says that in the last days, the spirit will be poured upon everyone. Hence all the miracles. Because when Yahuwah's spirit is poured, there's power there, right? There's power there. Well, what do we notice about the prophecy of Joel? 
It's only the beginning. What happened on Pentecost would continue. The giving of the Spirit was not just for that day, but it will be poured upon people all the way to when? Until the day of the terrifying day of Yahuwah, right? And on that day, those who call upon the name of Yahuwah will be saved. So this work of the Spirit, which was initiated when Yahuwah poured His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, up until these very the latter parts of the end days, we can expect and hope to receive the Spirit of Yahuwah. Which is why when we assemble together, when we celebrate Pentecost, we can hope for that, to receive the Spirit of Yahuwah. Because that promise of the giving of the Spirit has already been fulfilled. And so those who are true believers, those who are true servants of Yahuwah and Yahusha, they can expect to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You know those, you know the purpose for why the Spirit was given? Remember what Yahushua said? Do not let do not yet preach until after you receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. And now what do they do? What did Apostle Peter do? Acts 2:36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Yahusha whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so Apostle Peter began to preach you. Yahusha. And if you read further. Apostle Peter explains that Yahusha was killed, was buried, and he was resurrected. That was the gospel message. And so after giving the gospel message, what invitation does he give? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yahusha Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when this offer was made, how many responded? 41, 42. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And so they entered into covenant with who? Yahuwah, through baptism. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so they nurtured the covenant, right? They were not just baptized and forget about the teachings. No, after they were baptized, they continued to steadfastly follow and learn from the doctrine preached by the apostles and to maintain fellowship. And so this kind of takes us to what we need to do to be saved, right? What do we need to do? Enter into covenant and then nurture and maintain that covenant. And so this is what we have right here. And so when we look at what happened on Shavuot, the giving and accepting of the Torah to confirm the covenant, right? What happened on Pentecost during the Christian era? The giving and accepting of the Holy Spirit to confirm the new covenant. And so here's my question to you. Is there a connection there? What's the relationship between the Torah or the law and the Holy Spirit? What is the connection? Is there a connection? Yes. These two events are linked and are related because they go together. What's the proof? Hebrews chapter 8, 7 to 9. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And so Apostle Paul is telling us the first covenant, the one that was confirmed by Yahuwah on Sinai, right? On Shavuot, well, that was, it had fault, right? This is why there's a need for a new one. 
a second covenant, another covenant. And when the Bible says there's something at fault with the first covenant, what was it? What was faulty with the first covenant? Was it the laws? The Ten Commandments was faulty? Is that it? Maybe Yahuwah will remove the Ten Commandments and make it easier for the second, for the second covenant or the, uh, the new covenant. What was faulty with the first covenant? Let's read. Because finding fault with them. And so the fault doesn't lie in the commandments or the law, but with who? The people. He says, behold, the days are coming, says Yahuwah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says Yahuwah. Do you notice a theme in the Holy Bible? Because there's this question that we're discussing in the BQA about what, what we need to do to be saved. It's not about membership. It's about covenant, a covenant relationship. You enter into covenant and you continue in the covenant. And so Yahuwah says, in the first covenant, what is wrong is not the law. What is wrong is the people. The people were stubborn. They could not continue in my covenant. And so with the new covenant, what did Yahuwah do? Did he change the laws? Let's read 10 to 12. For this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahuwah. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, No, Yahuwah, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to, the, to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And so when Yahuwah created a new covenant, what was new about the covenant? He didn't change the commandments. The laws remained the same. What was new about them? It was based on, on better promises. What is one of those promises? The laws will be written. The Ten Commandments will be written in one's mind and in one's heart. In the old, what was it written? Tablets of stone. This time, the better promise will allow Yahuwah to write his laws in their mind and in their Hearts, how? How is that possible? Second Corinthians 3, 3. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. And so how will Yahuwah write his Ten Commandments, his law, in our hearts and in our minds? Not with pen and ink, but with what? His spirit. And so when Yahuwah fulfilled his promise to send the spirit, what is he doing? He's writing in our mind and in our heart the commandments of Yahuwah. What does this mean? When we are given a heart that has been etched in it by the spirit of God, the commandments of Yahuwah, what happens? Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. 
I will remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be there. God, in Ezekiel 36, 26, it also says the same thing. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you remember what was faulty about the first covenant? The heart. <laughs> the heart. People of Israel, they had a stubborn heart. That's why they could not continue in the covenant. And so what did Yahuwah do in the new covenant? He didn't change the laws. He didn't change what? The heart. How? By sending what? The spirit. When the spirit is received in the heart, what will they be moved to do? To obey the commandments without having to twist your arm willfully and out of love. This is why the new covenant is not about replacing the Ten Commandments. The new covenant is about receiving the spirit that moves you to want to obey the Ten Commandments and the Torah. This is why in 1 John 2, 7 to 8, my dear friends, this command I am writing you is not new. It is the old command. He's referring to the Ten Commandments. The one you have had from the very beginning. The old command is the message you have already heard because they knew the Ten Commandments, right? However, the command I now write to you is new. What's new about it? Because its truth is seen in Christ and also in you. For the darkness is passing away and the real light is already shining. And so Apostle John, knowing that those who are in Christ will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. What does Apostle John say to those who belong to Yahushua? The Bible says, I'm teaching you a new command. But this new command is not really a new command. It's the same command, but you're able to fulfill them in a different way, in an empowered way. How so? Through the power of the Spirit, which is at work in Yahushua, and also to those who belong to Yahushua. The ecclesia of Yahushua. And so Apostle John is telling us the new covenant that was confirmed in us gives us the ability to obey the commandments of Yahuwah in greater and greater expressions of love. And when we look at the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah, you probably notice that uh, most of the Ten Commandments is expressed in negatives. You shall not steal, you shall not kill, you shall not bear false witness, right? Uh, but each of the negative implies not just one, but a range of positive commands. So when it says, thou shalt not steal, the command implies that we are honest, we respect other people's rights, we earn by our own labors, and, we possess, and what we possess. So the negative, right, suggests a host of positive attitudes and Behaviors. You see, built in the Ten Commandments are positive implications of the command so that we can see the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And so when you talk about the spirit of the law, you don't just be content with the letter of the law, with the negatives, but you go to the positives. This is why when it says, for example, 
um, you shall not steal. And so the positive implication, you will help those who are in need, right? And so the Ten Commandments have built in positive implications. A person empowered by the Spirit is moved to obey the commandments beyond the letter of the law and towards greater and greater expressions of love, the Spirit of the law. And so when we look at what the Holy Spirit enables us to do, we can now see the connection between the Torah and the Holy Spirit, right? In Shavuot, it was the giving of the Torah, the giving and accepting of the Torah to confirm the covenant. And in, the, and in the, uh, on Pentecost, the giving and accepting of the Holy Spirit to confirm the new covenant, right? So it's connected. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to obey the Ten Commandments. So the, ten, the new covenant does not replace the Ten Commandments. It is based on the same commandments, but with better promises. One of these promises is the giving of the Holy Spirit, which creates a desire in the heart to carefully obey the commandments out of love, out of love, and with joy. This is why when we celebrate and worship together on Shavuot this weekend, we will ask for the Spirit of Yahuwah so that we will be moved to obey the Ten Commandments, not just in the letter, not just the letter of the Ten Commandments, but to also obey the Spirit of the law, which is love. And so we will do, we will please Yahuwah and please Yahusha. And so there's something also we need to understand about Pentecost. If you remember Yahuwah's four promises to Israel, right? It was fulfilled on the anointing, Passover, unleavened bread, Shavuot, first fruits. And when Yahuwah gave the Torah for the people of Israel, remember what Yahuwah said to them basically? Yahuwah basically said to them, I will take you to be my people, right? On Pentecost, we were not just given the Torah, we were given what? The Holy Spirit. That's even more significant. You know why? Because the Word of God is now in our mind and our heart. Do you know what that makes us? Not just the people of God. Yahuwah, when he invited the people of Israel, and he confirmed a covenant, they were at the foot of the mountain. They could not go near. Why? Because there was no change yet in their heart, right? Something happened in Pentecost. When the Spirit was given, it changed the relationship between people and Yahuwah. You know what change happened? John chapter 1, 12 to 13. But all who believed him and accepted him, speaking of Yahusha, he gave the right to become not just the people of God, but what? Children of God. Because when you think of people of God, there's still that distance Right? But if you're a child of God, you're not stuck at the foot of the mountain, are you? <laughs> when you become a child of God, you can approach him closer. And Yahuwah says, he gives the right to become children of God. How so? They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. How does one become a child of God? 
John 3, 5 to 7. Yahuwah replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born. So when the Spirit is given, what happens to us? We're born again. We become what? Children of God. Something happened on Pentecost. When the promise of the giving of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled, people began to become children of God. This is why Yahushua said to his disciples, when you pray, call him what? Father, Abba. And the Jews were astonished. Call him Father? Yes. Because Yahushua knows that they will come when the Spirit will be poured out. And when you receive the Spirit of God, you become what? You become a son and daughter of Yahuwah. This is why when we approach Yahuwah on the appointed day, we will show faithfulness. Because when we receive the Spirit of God, we have become his sons and daughters. When Yahuwah met with his people, the people were just there at the base of the mountain. Now, Yahuwah says, come. We can approach him closer. We can call him what? Abba. Yahuwah remove all the hindrances. Right? Which is the verse we read earlier. He removed the hindrances so that Yahuwah can be amongst us. And this was fulfilled when he sent Yahusha. When Yahusha died, it gave the opportunity for us to be drawn near to Yahuwah because of the eternal redemption. And then Yahuwah gives a spirit so that we can be reborn into the sons and daughters of God so that we can not be stuck at the foot of the mountain. We can have fellowship, deep fellowship with Yahuwah. And for this, we are truly thankful to our loving Father. And we will express our thankfulness when we meet together for worship on the appointed time and day of our celebration of the Feast of Shavuot. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, most holy Yahuwah, thank you so much for blessing your people, giving us an understanding of your will. From the very beginning, after the fall of Adam and Eve, you set in motion your plan, yes. which followed the Moedim yes. to bring people back unto yourself. Amen. It was a slow process, yes, which involved much learning on our part. Yes, You're stubborn in heart, but you, not, you did not give up on us. Yes, and so one Moedim after another, yes. you are setting in motion your plan, yes, fulfilled fully in Christ Yahushua. Thank you for sending your son. Yes. That he may redeem us by his shed blood. Ah. And by this redemption, we may be able to approach you. Yes. To be your sons and daughters. Amen. What a great privilege to be your child. And yes. so we will appreciate this. We will thank you because of this. Yes. And we will worship you forevermore. Amen. Our King Yahushua, we yes. belong to you. We believe in you and have faith in you. Yes. We have entered into covenant with you. Yes. Please give us what we need so that we can remain and nurture this relationship yes. with you becoming our shepherd. Yes, oh Lord. 
and Yahuwah becoming our Father. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Help us to learn more and more about you and our Father, that we can grow deeper in our relationship. Father, please prepare us for the Feast of Week celebration. Prepare our hearts, because on that day we will call upon you. Personal prayers will be made. Listen to our cries. Whatever we bring unto you, remember that we have become your sons and daughters. And so we will approach you in an intimate way. Do not tell us not to draw near. Command us to draw near to you. We want to be close to you because we have so much to say. Accept your people, loving Abba. Give us what we need. Heal your people on that day and provide for the nourishment of our souls. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. We ask all things in the name of our Lord and Redeemer, Yahushua the Christ. Amen. Amen.